So what's new with you, man? We're sans Igor today. I, I figured he would bail. He's settling into vacation. He should, yeah. I'd, Might um, be out of town too, right? Did I he think make it so. to Vegas? Have you talked to him? I have not, no. I have not, but okay. it's on the great road trip that they're taking. Yeah, really cool. I'll text them live. We'll get an answer if you're listening and are curious where Igor's at, where yeah. in the country Igor's at, and see if he'll respond. I can't wait till it comes back and he tells us all, all that they've done. Yeah, definitely. I, that guy's been working hard. I'm happy to get some time off. Yeah. We should turn this into just a vacation, lifestyle, taking time off work podcast. Forget your careers. <laughs> We're about leisure now. Yes. Just take as much time off as you can getting fired <laughs> and we'll yeah. tell you how to do that. Yeah. Yeah. To prolong the staying employed until they get tired of letting mm-hmm. you take time off. Yeah. The bare minimum. Probably not a, not a good strategy. No. Think, not a good long-term strategy. Probably fun in the short term. Yeah. I do think about that sometimes. Yeah. But. We care too much, though, to do stuff like that. Maybe not caring is the right term, but... It's easier when you have something that you're coming back to. Yeah. Even if you take a prolonged period of time off, I, I do agree. I think it would be... You see that a lot. People who retire, especially people who retire early, mm. have trouble adjusting and usually just end up getting another job again. Yeah. Yeah. There was there's somebody that I'm working with on one of the nonprofit committees that I'm on. He's a retired psychologist. So he's had a practice for decades and he's retired and so that's where I asked him if he's interested in joining this nonprofit committee that I'm I'm on and he's yeah, I guess it's time for me to take the advice that I've been giving a lot of my, you know, patients over the years about retirement and this makes so much sense, but it, it does seem a little revolutionary. It's like, hey, you are a pie chart and you spend your time on a variety of different slices. And when you retire, a big slice of the pie is gone. And and that's what's the hard part. It's like you you can no longer identify as a working person. The strategy is to not just suffer through it and try to, it's just like fill it, fill it intentionally with something else. And he's choosing to fill it with giving back, working with nonprofits and things like that. So that seems such simple advice, but maybe difficult to do when you're not sure what opportunities you have to fill it because you've maybe you've never thought about that before. That wouldn't be obvious to me. And then Mm -hmm. you just Mm -hmm. wake up one day and you feel like something's missing or you feel this tension, but you don't know what it is. Yeah, that's good. You're a pie chart. (laughs) You're a pie chart. Yeah. 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 So this feeds into, I think, what we were going to talk about today, which is attrition. Mm-hmm. It's like a very hot topic right now. Um, yep. Lots of people are leaving. HBR wrote a response article, which I think I sent you in mm-hmm. response to NPR's like great resignation. I think they coined the term, which I think is was really kind of prescient of them because they were early. They broke the story, right? Where they outlined this guy, Jonathan, a remote worker, was in a nine to five in work every day. And it's sort of like, yeah, you know, I really like working remote. Got my guitar by me. I like the lifestyle. I can still get work done. I'm pretty effective. I don't know that you can be fully effective, fully remote when you're in a hybrid environment, which I want to talk about later. Maybe we'll we'll put a pin in that. And then HBR sort of responded and said, you need to be a good company to come from, which is, I think, an interesting perspective because the Microsoft study that said more than 40% of the global workforce is considering leaving their jobs this year. And switching your mindset. I think this is your line of thinking, which is we should make our organization a good place to leave. Like when you leave, you're happy about your experience, you're learning, and you're going into a new job well-prepared. So that's a 
counterintuitive point though. So I want to talk about that and maybe some of the reasons behind attrition and and things like that, if you're interested. I am. Yeah, I am really interested in this. What is the phrase here? Let's see. The great resignation. No, that one. Be a good company to come from, which is focusing on instead of operating with this scarcity mindset of, oh my gosh, there's a labor war, talent shortage, or just a lot of volatility in the labor market. And we're going to lose people. We need to hold on to them. The scarcity mentality is all about just cling to what you have and try to grasp at whatever you can get. That's the feeling that um, exists around the, the great resignation, where instead, if you take this abundance mentality and see it as a, maybe a market correction in the labor market for a variety of reasons, and instead of, I guess, taking the mindset that you have to just weather the storm or like let the waves crash over you. And one way to think about it is just like, how do we optimize for the flow of people in and out of our company, as opposed to this mentality of let's find them, be really selective about recruiting people, and let's hold on to them as long as we can, the best that we can by creating a great company to work and all this other stuff. Maybe you just optimize for the flow and maybe that makes everything better. So yeah, I'd love to, to get into your thoughts on that, because I've certainly have some just through the work that we've been doing over the years and hearing about our philosophy and our approach to that. Yeah, and it was nice. At least I think some of the HBR article, some of their recommendations we are already doing, hmm. which is pretty cool. And it's almost we have these microcosms because we are an organization that staffs people at clients to do consulting work. And so we have different geographies that have different costs of living, different demographics makeup of people working in a given office. And then each client has different leadership, different preferences, those kind of things. And so we actually experience attrition in different types of pockets, which I think is informative. And so I definitely want to dig into that a little bit. But first, backing up, lots of people are leaving, right? We are definitely in a job seekers market. And I think there are a few things playing into that. So I want to see if we agree on on the cause, so maybe some of the root cause. Mm-hmm. You know, one is leaving your job is something you can control. And we've all experienced this great trauma as a global race, as a global citizen, where, you know, we spent the last 12 months quarantined, homeschooling, all those things. When humans go through some kind of trauma, they usually look to make a change. Sometimes for better, sometimes for worse. You have a major life event, you're looking to change something. And jo- it's really easy to change your job right now. It's something you can control. It's a little less invasive in your life. People are offering you more money, those kind of things. So I think people are opting into that as a way to restart, to reboot those types of deals. If you remember 2008 timeline, that wasn't the case, right? It was not a job seekers market then where You might have one open position, thousands of people applying for that position. People are creating websites and stuff to articulate why they want to work at this company. They're putting a lot of effort into getting a single job. And now we have the opposite where organizations are really cutting their hiring timelines. Maybe they're keeping the same standards, but they're they're removing friction and obstacles for hiring. They're offering more money, getting their managers, their hiring managers more armed with more information and a narrative around how we're a good fit for you. And so it's definitely people are on organizations are on the hunt to hire people paired with the overwhelming desire, I think, to change something is, I think, really what's driving this. I certainly agree with that, that there's an element of control that's being 
exerted here in people's choice. We've been cooped up humans for the longest time. We just roamed about. <laughs> it's like we're, we're meant to be able to move around physically. And if you can't, it gets stifling, like claustrophobic even. And yeah, changing jobs is one way to significantly mix it up. You know, what this uh, NPR, you know, talking about the great resignation, they pointed to restaurant and hotel workers leading the way. I think that's telling. Like, where did this wave first start in terms of resignations? And the ones that came to follow are probably what we're experiencing now. They were frontline workers, essential workers in the line of fire. Yeah. Taking on a lot of personal risk and danger, right? Physical danger to their lives. They've experienced it way more than I have. But I've experienced a degree of that too, just as people in my uh, network got infected and right? I had to come to grips with how does that how does that impact me? What risk tolerance do I have to to that? And so I think more than anything, this is the thing that this pandemic has done for us across the globe is that it has put us in physical danger in ways that we're typically not put into danger on average, right? Like it's we're pretty safe on average. But that threat, like to physical safety, I think has you reevaluating what is it that you really value. Do I really value family enough to where I'm going to put myself and others at risk to go see them? Or am I going to wait it out? Even though that creates isolation, you know, and loneliness, I need a paycheck and I'm an hourly worker. Is that enough? Is it important enough for me to put food on the table for my family by being a DoorDash delivery person? I think that's part of the core, right? It's this reevaluation of, is this all worth it given my values? And I think many people are saying, now's the time for a change, right? To either get some space if you can, if you're privileged enough to afford it and say, what do I want to do? Do I want to change careers? Do I want to change locations? But for a lot of people, they don't have that choice. And that's the really sad, sad thing. It's like the essential workers, the frontline workers are the ones that are hit the hardest and put under and continue to be put into danger. And they get paid the least. They get paid the least. And what options do they have if they want to get out of that? Not as much as we do. I think that's the really humbling part of this. Like it's what we're experiencing is not anywhere near as difficult and dire and yeah, just hard as what the frontline workers, essential workers are experiencing to this day. That was a lot, sorry, but free rambling thinking about this. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, yeah. And then if you are lucky enough to get a job, to get an offer of that has some level of flexibility. It does seem like opting into that flexibility and even if it comes with longer-term friction, career friction, does seem to be something that, yeah, like you said, people are opting into. There's a different calculus being played in people's minds around what's valuable outside of just salary. I don't know if this is right, but my intuition is that, sure, people are leaving jobs that they've had for a while to go pursue other jobs, that's probably going to keep happening over the next 18 months, right? So people that left to go work someplace else, like one of our competitors, maybe they'll leave in another 18 months because once they've baked a little bit, they realize that they're not happier. It's not still in alignment with their values. And so I don't think this is just a one-time, everybody, you know, take a different seat and then we're locked into to a steady state equilibrium. I think this is just going to continue to fluctuate and people are going to move 
from company to company and try things out and experiment until they settle. So that's why I love this idea of optimizing for the flow, right? Because this isn't a one-time thing. It'll likely come in waves until things reach a new equilibrium. The other thing, too, is we're not getting a lot of good information on why people are leaving. There's this, like I mentioned, a whole new mindset shift. There are new variables at play. When I talk to people who are leaving right when they put in their notice or things like that, you get this sort of rehearsed, largely unhelpful reason. And and I don't I think that's the right play. Like I don't blame them for that. It's really not too wise to tell your employer on the way out why you're leaving. Like the real reasons behind it, you should always just be thankful for the opportunity. This is a good thing for me and my family, those types of things. I don't know what good it does you to pop off on your way out. But what it also robs us from, if you don't have a way of getting that feedback later, is what are those reasons? What are the things that people were thinking of? What are the things that we could change, add more flexibility in as we move towards ultimately trying to keep people from leaving because we're already offering what they're leaving for? This is really interesting because there's so many different threads we can go down. I guess I'll go with the one that first popped into my head. Do you think people are I'm sure there are some people that are deliberately, you know, withholding information in those exit surveys, for example, or even in one-on-one conversations. A lot of times, though, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. A lot of times, I think that people don't really know why they left. Not really. Oh, yeah. So they're kind of at a loss, right? They have this feeling that they need to change. and. Like they're running from something, you think? or Not running from. Well, I mean, uh, yeah. There are times when, for sure, people are running away from something. There are times when people are running towards something, too. This is more about, from a neuroscience standpoint, like the decisions that we make are made subconsciously before the rational cognitive mind can come up with an explanation. I just know this through some of the stuff. Oh, yes. Yeah, that makes sense. And so a lot of these reasons that they're asked, it's like, I think these are rationalizations after the fact, right? After they have some feeling of conviction about it's time for a change and us asking them why, it's like, oh, I guess I need to have a reason why, as opposed to this just feels right, right? Like it, which to me is a perfectly good reason, but I think we feel like we have to provide a, and it's all biased based off of how the exit surveys are structured and what questions we ask and stuff like that. And so I, I kind of I agree that I don't like exit surveys because there's not a lot of useful stuff. And yet, I still think it's important because because I think what we should be doing when people leave is reflecting and saying, have we done something fundamentally wrong? Did we fail as a result of a lack of integrity? Or did we miss the mark in terms of our mission? And I think you get a sense of that in looking at the exit surveys over aggregate and and over a period of time but it doesn't i don't think it does much to surface things that that we can do right now to slow or stop attrition like i I don't i just don't think that's possible like oh yeah and i heard uh this really cool analogy where if you're on like a really big ship in the ocean and you want to make a 90 degree turn you as soon as you start turning, you will travel like 13 nautical miles in the mm-hmm. you, in your original direction mm-hmm. before you are stopped and yeah. actually pointed in the other direction. Yeah, yeah. And it's just like that. Like you just, you can't turn on a dime. These are hundreds of little things that need to be 
adapted to over time so you don't get this cascade of dysfunction, which in this case would lead to attrition. Yeah. And yeah, it's a hundred little things. So any little piece of information that you can gather, that you can arm frontline managers, frontline leaders with to help with their influence, their sphere of control Mm -hmm. is also the right approach. Like you can't actually even solve this at the organizational level anyway. Yeah. It's such a complex system that anything that you try to do will take time to to change the system. And so that, that's where I think it's in, in our model, it's, it's tough for our people and myself because you hate to see people go. You want to do something to try to stop pe- other people from leaving that you don't want to leave. When in fact, the right thing to do is to wish them the best and reflect ourselves yeah. why we're here, why we choose to stay and share that with others. Right, because I think it is the right thing to do to reevaluate and reflect and say, hey, should I be here? Or maybe I'm missing something and and I should be rethinking about where I'm working. If we don't, we don't we don't do those people that leave justice. Right. I, I think that is our responsibility. And the only thing we can do really within our control is to personally say, Am I convicted in staying? And if so, let me just share that with people. So that way people know. And if not, great. They've inspired me to reevaluate my priorities and values. And that's good too. And that's connected very much to the optimize for flow. I think it's great when people realize that consulting isn't for them or consulting is for them or they want to go back and teach or they want to stay at home and take care of kids. It, those to me are things to celebrate. And I feel like some people... There's a lot of shame in that. Like they feel like they failed, right? Or yeah, and that that's just that makes me so sad, dude. Like when people are afraid to leave and tell people they're leaving because they they feel like they're going to disappoint somebody. Those are the hardest ones. And when people are like, "I was afraid to tell you, Charles." I'm like, "Why are yeah. you so afraid? I'm so happy for you." And such I, a good and, point, yeah. man. Like you you don't want to be doing things to force people out. There are plenty of examples of dysfunction, mm-hmm. of misbehavior that make people want to leave. Yeah. We're not talking about that here. You should stamp that out as best you can. But also you take a firm like ours, Facebook, Google even, like those are two completely different companies to work for. Amazon, they're all in the upper echelons. They're all completely different to work for. We're, we have a very opinionated way of how our company works, what career trajectories look like, what we value, what we don't. And it's a fairly narrow path. And if we're not a great fit or we're a good fit, but now we're not, that's totally fine. You should be thinking about that in your career. Maybe this was a great fit for me, a perfect fit for me five years ago. Now, for these reasons, the story has changed. I want different things, whatever. It's time to seek something new. And it's not you're upset or trying to leave because you hate it there or something bad happened. You're just looking for the next wave of the journey. And I think we should encourage that. Again, this is another counterintuitive thing. You're, you can't force people to opt into your opinionated structure. They either like it or they don't. That's the whole point. Like You have to have a perspective on how the organization is structured and runs. And if people aren't compatible and you try to force them to stay somehow, that's just it's going to end up working out really poorly. So you got you to help them see that it's a good fit or not and adjust accordingly. Yeah, that's why I never try to convince somebody to stay. I mean, that, just, that just seems wrong. Why? Like, you, you, only you know best if you should stay or leave. Now, what can I do to give you information to best make the informed decision? 
that's what my role is in those scenarios. Okay, have you thought about this? Like, how are you thinking? Tell me your decision-making process so that way I can feel good that we've given you the information that you need. That's my role in those situations, not to convince people. Do you try to convince people to stay if they come to you saying Absolutely that they're looking? Absolutely not. Yeah, no, if yeah. the decision's made, it's made. Your yeah. shields are down long ago. I, I, the decision was made long ago. You should definitely just be supportive and do what you can to help the transition go smoothly because job transitions are risky. But now I, I don't think, I think the data supports this. There's the counter offer, the trying to force something. It just really doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Your effort would be better spent trying to keep people from wanting to leave in the first place. And yeah, I, d- I never try to force the, the change of heart it just yeah. doesn't make sense. Okay, so question for you. This is in the realm of optimizing for flow. Okay. And in this HBR article, they talk about, as an example, they call it developing a program for a happy exits. So it's to encourage people. Uh, well, it's to encourage, incentivize people to retire. So they say, hey, when that was employee, pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. When employee turns 35, if they have worked for over six and a half years, they're eligible for a, a $75,000 retirement bonus. And as they get older, the bonus increases. That's a great example of optimizing for flow. Here's one that I've heard of being discussed. No, I just heard the idea at our company. It wasn't something that I think people were pursuing, but I think it is another great example of optimizing for flow. And I want to get your take on it because it was very controversial when I heard about this. So it's the idea that we get like a total compensation summary every year. You know, in the mail. Yep. Nice glossy. Yep. Yeah. So what this person was advocating for is that in addition to that, like, hey, here's total comp that we've given you. Look at all the great things that we've done. Here is essentially comparables compensation that you could get elsewhere, either at our competitors or within industry. Like if you want to go work for one of our clients. And they were saying, like, we should be offering that as a service to our employees so that they know on a regular basis, like what, how the market would value them. As you can imagine, that's essentially making it easy for somebody to say, wait a second, I can get $50,000 more in salary by going over here. Yeah, I'm going to take it. Right. That was the fear and the controversy. It's like, why would you do that? It's because you're optimizing for flow and we don't have this scarcity mentality around the need to retain people at whatever cost. And so have you heard about that idea within our firm or, or no? I haven't, but I like the idea. I think there there is such a thing as too much transparency. I don't think most places get even close to that line. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the information exists elsewhere. Yeah. I think one of the, by offering that information up, you also create value in the employee's mind, where you go is probably not going to give you that. So we have a model, for instance, where everybody at every level makes the same money, no matter what. And there are geographical multipliers there. So if you live in New York and you're the same level as me, your salary is higher because you live in a high cost of living area, but it's the same across the board. It's all published. And you can very clearly see. And that has a huge benefit in that it pretty much eradicates wage discrimination. Yeah. Heavily mitigates it. It creates challenges though. Yes, we can't offer, we can't try to compete to get a really great resource from like a new college hire 
are a really great hire. We we don't have it. We don't have the flexibility, mm. and so it bites us on the other end. And you can always leave our firm to go make more money, based on how we structure compensation. We don't put all of our resources into salary. Mm-hmm. We spend a lot of time on career growth. You know, you and I spend hundreds of hours a year yeah. of time that we could be billing. We could be generating revenue. We could be selling work focused intently on the career growth of others. That's a benefit you have working here. That has a dollar value to it above and beyond what the, the average is at other organizations. And you can go get more of one thing somewhere else. You can't go get more of everything somewhere else. And so you got to be really careful what that balance mm. is. It is fascinating to think about the importance of how you design systems like early on, because it was so easy for us to be transparent about salaries, right? Because that was baked into our system. Like it was architected by design at the beginning of our firm. And so nobody questions that. Nobody questions that they think it's, they, they might think that it's weird and unique and wrong, but nobody really fights against it. The interesting thing about this other service, and, and I can't remember if it was a, hey, every employee gets it every year, or maybe it was a, opt-in service that's available. So, hey, if you're looking, how about we help you look? So it's uh, something that people could opt into and get a sense as to what they could command in the market, which I think, by the way, would also reduce some of that shame of leaving, of letting people down, of not being the, the perfect employee because our values have changed or they weren't aligned to begin with. But we, if that was baked into the design of our system, we wouldn't be questioning that either. It would just be a thing, right? Like it, it would just be part of how we operate. Another one of those things that's the secret sauce. And um, I, I think the hard part is what are the unintended consequences of doing that? Yeah, it's easy to say higher turnover, right? Higher, higher turnover because people opt to leave when presented with that information that otherwise wouldn't because they didn't they didn't think to go look for themselves. That's like first order consequence of that sort of thing. But what are the second order consequences? That's the hard part that we would need to unpack to try to make that system level change now, which is why we haven't, because it's just really hard. And it's really hard to understand the consequences of that sort of stuff. And going back to the article too, it's the same kind of thing. What HBR is suggesting (laughs) is that you make your people so valuable. I'm using my words here. You make your people so valuable that it hurts when you lose them. And again, you could view that as counterintuitive, but that's precisely the right way to approach this. You want people developing faster than inflation, faster than the market is growing, faster than your competitors are growing. And if they choose to take that and go make more money somewhere else or go get something else that they're looking for that we can't offer somewhere else, then that's fine because you've built an engine of developing people to a really high potential to get more out of them than when they started. And if you have a good hiring pipeline, to replace, then that's how championship teams are made. Like you, There's an analog to that in sports, next man up, next person up. And so if you're developing everyone more broadly, you don't have to worry about so being so focused on trying to keep your 10x performer in there and cultivating that person like an individual like plant in a garden because you're making it up more on scale. And it's going to be harder to leave. If you're growing, if you have good flexibility in your work, and you have this interesting retirement bonus that we read about. You're taking care of people. 
like they're going to be less inclined to want to leave, even if they mm-hmm. can, like I said, go optimize one attribute of their career interest somewhere else. I think that's really easy for a company like us to do because of what we are optimized for, which is developing people to their highest potential. It just makes perfect sense, right? And I just take for granted that is how we're wired and oriented to where that sort of stuff makes sense. But do you really think that this could work at other companies? Right? No. That are, yeah. I, that, I don't think I don't think this can be solved. And by the way, we're learning this in our company too. Is a lot of our response to attrition, to market forces, to things like that, really can't be done at the CEO level, at the executive level, at the entire organization level. You have to decentralize the authority and responsibility and resources to the individual leaders for their team to make the decisions they think are necessary. You may have one team that's really hungry for training and growth and leveling up their skill set, where you may have another team that the the majority of the focus could be on work-life balance and then everything in between. And so you have to equip the group of leaders who are on the front lines to to make the most out of that. Yep. It is so true. I think one thing that I take comfort in is that this is happening to everybody everywhere, like all industries, all types of jobs. And one thing that gives me comfort is that I don't believe that this is an existential threat to our firm. It's just something that we have to weather and that we should learn from. If we were dealing with what we're dealing with and everybody else was not, right, that would be a scary point in time. Because then it's, okay, is there something structurally or fundamentally wrong with us? But this is just, to me, hey, this is where we are as a... Yeah, the playing field is essentially equal. These macro forces are affecting all ships in the ocean. Hmm. We are in a situation, though, it's a new frontier where if you're able to adapt to this new reality, you're going to reap outsized benefits. And that's why I think, you know, we are trending towards... It's not a new idea to, to decentralize this stuff. That's... We're moving, we've been moving towards that for decades now when it comes to the levers that you can pull to keep people interested in growing and creating an environment where people want to stay. We just got done with the series talking about that. It all comes down to the team that someone's on. So if you are a manager and you have a bunch of individual contributors working for you, or you're a director and you have a bunch of managers working for you, or a VP and you have a bunch of directors working for you, all the way up, you have your core team. That's the team you have to focus on making sure that they're getting what they need to grow, to manage their work-life balance, all of those things effectively. And that's how you drive, I think, career growth and STEM attrition over time. Because again, you're not, you don't want to force people out who, of, because you're doing something wrong. If people want to opt out because the story has changed and they want something different than you can offer, that's fine. But that landscape is larger if you take it down to the team level. You have much more flexibility to address the individual needs and preferences of of your team. Yep. Interesting stuff. I'm curious just how the restaurant workers and the hotel workers led the way in resignations. I wonder where the early signals are going to come that we've reached some some sort of equilibrium in the labor market. I really have no ideas. Do you? As to where we should be looking to see when... Oh, the wave of change. leading indicator or yeah, something? Yeah, some sort of leading indicator. Yeah, yeah that's a good question. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. know either. Yeah. I think it's too early to say. I think pe- people are starting to experiment with the hybrid work models, right? As people start to re-enter the, the workplace, 
in our line of business and a lot of our clients, not the front frontline workers we've been talking about. I think until there's some sort of emergence of best practice there, I think labor will continue to fluctuate and move and be quite volatile because, and that's probably going to take another 18 to 24 months if I were to wager a guess. Yeah. And we have pockets of the U.S. worried about the next wave of pandemic. Mm-hmm. And, and so we could be forced into, you know, something that looked a lot more like it was 12 months ago than it is now. And so it's hard, definitely hard to tell. Yep. But I don't know that changes what your action should be if you're on with you and your team, especially if you're in a leadership position. Yeah. Doing the things that you can do to make sure your people are growing, supported, Nav- helping them navigate the return to work hybrid model, whatever that looks like, which is going to be long and drawn out. All of the things we've been talking about, that's still the play. Yeah. It's interesting to reflect upon the year, right? We're in August. At the beginning of the year, everybody was really optimistic. And I think rightfully we were optimistic, but this, the attrition, the variant progression throughout our country, it's, it's just a reminder that this is still a marathon we got to think about the long term. We have to manage our individual energy and ups and downs so that way we can take care of our teams as they experience these things and and keep focusing on that because that is within our control. It's just let's take care of each other at the team level. And, and uh, I think things are going to be okay as long as we do that. Yeah, definitely. Cool, man. I don't know if I have more thoughts. Thanks for sharing these articles. They were, they were, uh, interesting to read. I've heard a lot of different stats in terms of people considering leaving their jobs, like 40, 70, 80%, 90% in different surveys and stuff like that. Regardless of the actual number, there's just a lot. So I'm curious to see what this continues to bring, you know, the economy overall. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And hopefully if you're in a leadership position, this has helped give some thoughts and ideas on how you can provide a good place for your team and and hopefully mitigate some of the attrition going on around us. Yeah, it was great talking to you, man. We'll talk soon. Cool. Thanks, Robert. Take care. Bye, buddy. Bye. Bye. That's it for today. Thanks for joining. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at WannaGrabCoffee or drop us a line at hello at WannaGrabCoffee.com.